Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Becoming Fully Human podcast. Today's episode is part two of four of the DreamWork series with Geraldine Mattis. Today we explore our last session a little bit deeper, the concepts of abandonment and some somatic tools for sitting with sitting with our wounds. Um, I asked Geraldine about what to do, uh, I guess, what to do when we are faced with parts of ourselves that are wounded or we start to notice things through our dreams or really any any way you start to notice things in your life that um, might need a little bit of attention. And yeah, Geraldine gives some very profound, gentle tools to do that work. Um, we also explore a new dream, which is, yeah, about the halfway mark we get into my second dream. And yeah, I hope you enjoy the work. This work's been really profound for me, and I hope for you too in in being able to witness it. And uh, like last time, if you have any questions or comments, you can visit the link in the show notes. That will take you to my website if you have um, yeah, anything you'd like to share or things that come up for you feel free to do it there uh, thanks for listening and we'll see you for part three in three weeks bye for now great well I thought maybe we could start with I have had like a couple of questions mm-hmm. um, first because we didn't even actually explore it at all in the last time we chatted was maybe you could explore a little bit how the menstrual cycle affects our dreams and like is it a two-way street do they you know does one influence the other or vice versa or they work together or because um currently in my bleeding phase and i know i definitely I have at least an idea of the ways in which that influences my conscious life, mm-hmm. but not so much the subconscious. Right. Um, so I think h- how I understand is having access to the interiority of our human experience is dependent upon our fundamental needs being met. Mm. So if we're busy looking for shelter, safety, food, love, we tend not to, because all of those things tend to be ego-driven, we tend not to be so attentive to our interior life, Mm. our our life of the psyche. And also the psyche tends to regress a little bit, kind of in a way to respect our need to survive. So when we are more or less at peace with our basic needs, then we usually have more access to psyche and psyche will knock on our door more. Mm. Now, with respect to the menstrual cycle, a lot of menstruators experience that they have more of a awareness of their interior life. And it really isn't interior, exterior. It's just you know, I don't know, it's, it's hard to describe other than to say we have our, our concrete ego-driven life and then we have the life that's symbolic and non-rational 
And mm -hmm. it seems to come from the interior, but perhaps it comes from the molecules in the air. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so it tends to be the confluence of hormones and the physiology around the time of bleeding or just prior to bleeding tends to put the menstruator into a little bit more of a reflective state. Mm. Often we're a little bit tired. We're a little bit immune suppressed. So we're feeling like we don't have the same energy or strength. So whenever we're in a little bit tired or not so energetic or so much strength, the ego kind of falls down a little bit. Mm. When the ego falls down a little bit, we have more access to the psyche. But when we're kind of up and out and doing things and busy, 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 then we don't hear psyche knocking on our door. We don't notice the synchronicities or the opportunities. Or we might just say, oh, that was a coincidence. We don't give it any attention. Mm -hmm. So to understand the dreams throughout the menstrual cycle, one has to make a conscious effort to pay attention. Mm -hmm. so it's not going to happen unless we, uh, unless we pay attention and allow our ego not to be so active. Mm. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. It does. Um, and the other question I had was, so in the last, our last conversation, definitely a lot was brought to the surface in terms uh -huh. of awareness. Some things I've already had, you know, uh, uh, an idea of, um, others maybe it was the deepening of things that I've already started to feel um I, I guess the question is like what does one do with the information that comes up and like you you mentioned drawing the dream and like sitting with it you know maybe inviting um what needs to come up to come up um is awareness enough? Like, you know, in air quotes, I don't even, I don't even like, part of me doesn't like wording it. Like, you know, what's the next step? Cause I, I do know that's not how things tend to work, but if someone is working with their dreams and, and, you know, wounds show up, what do you suggest? When wounds show up? Yeah, well, like even thinking about our last conversation, you know, feeling, um, feeling abandoned. Right. And so definitely finding the, the ways, probably only <laughs> some of the many ways that that permeates my world as an adult, and wanting to heal that initial, you know, I guess, wounding that has created beliefs um, that I have about the world and my place in it and how I interact with, you know, in relationships in general, definitely romantic relationships. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, so maybe what, what does one do once they kind of get more awareness around things? Right. So the doing, of course, is ego function. Mm -hmm. And so when one is working with dreams, one has to be careful not to let the ego direct it too much. Mm -hmm. It's better to sit back in curiosity. Okay. So for example, you talked about our last session where you sort of became aware 
of your fear of abandonment and how that affects you in your life. So we can move into an ego state and kind of define it, say, this is what you do about it. Mm -hmm. But that might not be helpful. In fact, it might make it worse. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times when people have an intellectual understanding of what wounds them and how they're hurting, it keeps them from actually engaging with it. Mm -hmm. So what I would suggest is when you touch on something that is tender or exciting or awakening, to try to see it as an image or as an allegory. So I would ask people, well, who is afraid of being abandoned? Mm. My ego asks a question that goes into curiosity. We can ask ourselves, ooh, who is here now? What is here is my sense of abandonment. It's it, the, the, so we allow the sense of abandonment just to enter the room mm -hmm. and then to become curious about it. So, for example, I'm going to just invite you to do that right now. Mm -hmm. Just allow that feeling of abandonment to come forth. And now, if you were by yourself, you might journal or draw it. But here, I'm just going to invite you to what do you see? Color, energy mood what what is presenting itself i guess like swirly like dark purpleys and black uh-huh mm -hmm. so kind of a swirly purpley black is there a shape to it or is it going Not off into really, the honestly i don't know if it's the dynamic of of speaking it into a podcast format or the fact that i've I've been aware of this abandonment thing for so long now that I almost find it funny. Like there's almost a humor to it of like giving it so much weight. And, and like you said, over intellectualizing things for a very long time. And like, you know, just reading the books and listening to all the podcasts and feeling like I know it so well seems to almost like fan the flames of this huge problem you know that needs resolving when okay so i'm going to interrupt you here because you've leaped into intellectualization and mm -hmm. away from getting to know the abandonment mm -hmm. and this is the discipline of dream work and, mm -hmm. and i experience it a lot in the therapeutic session people want to know about it how am I going to handle they listen to all these podcasts that are going to mm -hmm. fix it and heal it but you see we don't know mm -hmm. we don't know what that sense of abandonment needs or wants because we haven't sat long enough with the mm -hmm. shape of it mm -hmm. so you're going to do a great favor to your listeners mm -hmm. by actually not pulling up into some analysis of it mm -hmm. but by staying with exactly what I've invited you to describe oh. I think what I, my point with that was that humor seems to be present as like in the swirl of it all because of how historically I've been so in my head about it. Okay. And so what you're noticing is this black and purple yeah. swirling energy mm -hmm. and it kind of is comical to you Yeah. because yeah. you're familiar with this. You've been playing it within your mind. You've been trying mm -hmm. to fix it and solve it. Mm -hmm. So just let that be your reality, that mm -hmm. it's both present in a very profound way. And it's a little bit funny because you know it. Mm -hmm. 
So now let that sense of abandonment speak to you. And for the sake of the listeners, I'm just allowing Camille to take as much time as she needs to move into that experience. None of this should be rushed. And I know the biggest crime on airtime is silence. So I'm going to fill the silence for you. <laughs> well, I'm going to allow Camille to move into fully seeing and experiencing her sense of abandonment. I'm going to invite her to just keep her breath calm, relaxed, and to just stay with what's really real in the moment, not to leap into analysis or leap into I have to know. It's very hard for me not to leap into those places. Yeah. Yeah. And that is how our ego defends against the psyche it doesn't quite trust it and it's like well i'll let you know i'll let you come forward and i'll learn to know you if i can know what to expect mm -hmm. so it's kind of like well i'm not going to get into relationship with you unless i know you're a good bargain mm -hmm. unless but i can tick off all the boxes but then we don't know yeah because we have to descend into the relationship to know the whole truth because what I can witness coming up are these beliefs I have about why abandonment and how it serves me in this and that. But I can see as they're coming up, like, yeah, but these are things I've learned. They're not, they don't, they feel not, they feel it coming like from the ego of this, like, yeah, this is what it is. Like, you know, you've read that it's this, and this is the good answer. Have that, say right. that. Yeah. And it's like, no, but that feels like not. Well, you're not letting abandonment speak, you see. No, no. So let abandonment speak. What does it know? So here again, dear listeners, I'm just allowing her the space to get in touch with her sense of abandonment and that's always the biggest challenge in dream work we want to kind of leap into making something of it or do something or analyzing it so we can put it on the block for treatment but it's it is does not work like that we will never experience the transformation we have to stay with the presence of whatever it is that we're working with until it speaks to us so that might just be weeks, days, hours, meditating on the theme. It might be just noticing how it moves through your body. And I'm seeing that Camille's kind of coming forward a bit. So has abandonment got anything to say right now? I definitely know this is a, a much longer process. Like when you said it can take days and weeks, I can feel I can like feel that somatically as a truth. And um, what is coming up is what else did you like, do you expect? 
So abandonment says, what, what else do you expect? Of yeah. course, you're going to feel like this. Yeah. 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 And it's very big. Abandonment telling us this is very big. In order to know me, it's going to take a very long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But And where are you feeling it somatically? Well, in my like chest area, and it's so peaceful. Like it's not terrifying. It's this like, it's almost like clouds on like a cloudy day, just kind of passing by slowly. And it's like, you know, it's not, it's, yeah, it's just a peaceful sensation. And I, I, you know, I don't know if this is the ego speaking, I think it feels, it's like a coming home sensation. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, like, Mm -hmm. thank you. Oh, you're not really. Yeah. (laughs) Abandonment really wants you to be present to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it has something to tell you. Mm-hmm. so then back to your question well how do we work with it well I've just demonstrated how you work with it it's one has to just sit with it and we aren't going to torture our listeners by making them sit through the next several weeks of you sitting through it but it's important that they understand that you might have to sit with it every day very intentionally for 10 minutes 20 minutes or half an hour whatever you can withstand and continue that what is it revealing to you what does it want to know where is it in your body right now how is it moving through Mm. or perhaps an image comes up of a creature or a certain type of person and then if that happens you might want to draw that and get to know that more Mm. yeah that feels it just makes sense. I mean, yeah. yeah, like we spoke about actually our first recording podcast ever quite a while ago now. You gave the, like the analogy of inviting everyone to the table. And I think we're quick to want to heal the parts, but in a way that is actually kicking them out. You know, like, we're like, oh, I want to heal them and like, you know, usher them out of the dinner party. You, I don't want you here. You know, like, I'm going to heal you out of me instead of being like, what, why are you here? What do you have to teach me? Yeah. And in my experience, the so-called healing, which we never really know the shape or color of it until it's happened. Mm -hmm. The so-called healing actually comes through a deep and receptive invitation to that which we would prefer not be at our dinner party. Mm -hmm. But when we invite all the good, the bad, the ugly, all the frightening parts and see what they each have to say, something in the whole place kind of calms down. And that is how the healing occurs. Mm. Um, But the challenge is that we have to, be able to tolerate suffering. We have to be able to tolerate seeing our own woundedness, seeing how we're an invalid, seeing how we're incompetent, seeing how we are competent, but we failed to bring it forth. Mm. And, And we have to tolerate how that makes us suffer. So it's kind of like we can't come become codependent with our own self with the different aspects of ourself. Like we, 
you know, codependency is like we're trying to manage other people and places and things that they're going to be all the ducks in a row that we want so that we can have our perfect world. But we, we can do that same damage to our own psyche by insisting that all the little ducks in become in a row, but there are some that will never follow the rules. And one will through their whole lifetime have to wrestle with a certain archetype in their life. And others they'll come to know deeply and those archetypal energies will become helpful. So the deeper you become to know the sense of abandonment and the archetype of abandonment, the more it, it informs you in ways that actually helps your life. Mm. And in a way it becomes a gift to you because those who haven't suffered it cannot understand it mm. in the same way. Mm -hmm. mm. Now, it's, so I just want to kind of go to your, per your period because you're in your bleeding phase right now. Mm -hmm. And so with respect to abandonment, do you notice at different times in your cycle where abandonment seems to be more pressing on you than others? Mm -hmm. I don't think I've been mindful enough of, which is, it's quite funny because I'm so mindful of, of where I'm at in my cycle in most aspects of my life but not in terms of that vulnerability, vulnerability. I find what the places it shows up most is like based on how other people treat me. But of course that's probably informed by where I'm at in my cycle. Cause I know like, for example, my relationship to my body image, I can, I know throughout my cycle, there's periods where it's much, you know, it's much healthier relationship and the times where I feel more vulnerable and I'm more prone to um, self-judgment, I can imagine would be quite parallel to the times in which I'm more impacted by, yeah, the, all the, the vulnerabilities, including that idea of self-abandonment. So when in your cycle do you notice your body image is a little bit more shaky, your sense of your worth and body? Just prior to to my bleed in my like late luteal phase. And it's not always, it's not always, but that would be the time where um, like probably both physically, but also just energetic, energetically, like things soften. And I feel, you know, closer to this vulnerable, more vulnerable state where my energy mm -hmm. definitely is lower and my capacity to just do things is lower so I think yeah just prior to my bleed in late luteal right so you feel a bit more tender and I literally I had a cry a couple of days ago related to abandonment that was like right yeah yeah so when you feel less kind of muscular and able to handle the world mm -hmm. that's when you feel more prone to fear yes. of abandonment right? and I can't like be the shield you know like do the things and do it all when I notice my own like I guess yeah. vulnerability yeah so talk to me a little bit about being the shield and doing it all so I've been exploring that a lot in the past six months my femininity and masculinity 
and like at least how I understand it is like the masculine parts of me being the riverbank, the structure and the femininity being the river that flows. And I grew up very much like, you know, I think not only societally, but in my family structure being told like, you know, you can do everything a man can do and you shouldn't depend on a man ever. You should be financially dependent and um yeah like the strong independent woman like the kind of feminism that almost distrusts men as opposed to i guess what i see as being healthy feminism which is both the support of men and like women there's not a like we're not trying to bring women above or you know men you know, the patriarchy historically being like the imposition of the masculine and probably more the wounded masculine energy onto women. But for me, not wanting to overcompensate, because I think that's been a lot of the messaging I had growing up is, you know, brought me into my masculine. Um, and so the, the, I guess the work I've been doing for a while now is trying to dismantle the wounded masculine energy that thinks I need walls around me between me and the world to protect me with like no moat, no windows, no doors, you know, no invitation, the bound boundaries, not being actually boundaries because boundaries as like an invitation to how, um, I, how you can relate to me in a way that honors me is a boundary and a wall is like, I'm never going to let you in fully. Right. And so if you go to the riverbank image, yeah. are, is your banks made of stone or mud? I'm not sure what, what, what analogy. Um, well, just imagine, let me yeah. just take a minute to imagine this image you created of your your masculine being the banks yeah. and your feminine being the water. Mm -hmm. And what are your banks made out of? Stone, mud, gravel? I think for a long time, and again, I'm not sure what stone means, but it feels hard. It feels like things have been very rigid for right. a big part of my life. So on the stone side of things. On the stony side of things, yeah. right? So, so the separation between the masculine and the feminine is pretty rigid. It's like the, yeah, it's going to be take a really long time for those waters to wear down the stone. Correct. Now, it, I, I love this image of the river because I think I'm going to take you a little bit into ancient Egypt mm. um, with this because it's a beautiful, actually, image of the, of the masculine and feminine. So the river Nile in um, Egypt. Mm -hmm has a very long history and a deeply symbolic history. It, it's been destroyed since the British put the dam up in Aswan and now they regulate the river. But prior to that atrocity, the River Nile had an annual inundation. So its banks were mud. Mm. And before the annual inundation or flood, the river was very narrow and it flowed very kind of easily. But 
because it's a desert land and hot and um, not very fertile past the boundaries of the floodplains, the land would become exhausted from the farming. Mm. And so the river would flood every year and the silt from breaking down the riverbanks and carrying silt from, from way south towards the north would replenish the earth. So these huge floodplains would happen and the flood would recede and the lands would be fertile again. Mm-hmm. Now in Egyptian mythology, what's interesting is that the inundation is related to a very strong response by the feminine. Mm-hmm. So we have the two brothers, Osiris and Seth, who are fighting about who's going to own Egypt and rule Egypt and who's the, you know, most important. They're kind of caught in a little ego battle a bit. That's a very sort of short summation. And the brother Seth is very envious because Osiris is sort of the king and he's kind of more associated with life and fertility. And Seth only gets to, you know, be king over the the most hot, infertile desert lands. And Osiris gets the riverbanks as mm. his land. So there's a little bit of jealousy. So Seth kills Osiris, chops him into pieces and throws him into the river. This is at the time when their river is flowing very lightly. And his, Osiris's partner, Isis, becomes abject with grief. And she cries and she cries and her tears are so vast that she creates the inundation. So it's her tears of grief for the loss of the relationship with her partner, Osiris, Mm. and the brutal murder of him by his brother that causes her to cry the river into a flood. Mm. Now through that process of her tears and everything, she reclaims Osiris's body, which is really the land, the land becomes reclaimed. Mm. And, the, and, the, and the country is fertile once again. Then there's reconciling between the brothers. But you see, that could not happen if the riverbanks were stone. So this inundation of the feminine feeling actually restores the masculine energy that is killed by too much pride, too much envy, too much I have to be in control. Mm-hmm. You know, what came up as you were telling this story and I don't have this, like, it's, it was more like a flash than a proper like sentence structure. So we'll see what comes out. But this idea that me on this journey of healing the masculine feminine polarity within me, what has been the biggest catalyst is abandonment in relationship. Right. It's like it's brought upon the floods of, you know, my biggest fear actually happening. And it like, not coincidentally, I don't think I've needed to attract um, a relationship that made me face very like the dynamic, which I feared so deeply. And it has softened me so much. And it's, yeah, it's paved, well, paved the way being like the not appropriate analogy. (laughs) Well, no, in a way, what you're saying is your experience of abandonment has broken down the rigidity of your masculine boundaries, your masculine attitudes, and has allowed you to find your fertility Mm -hmm. on every level. Mm -hmm. And that's a really important 
thing. And so we always want to heal our wounds. But what you're really saying is it was your woundedness yeah. that helped you integrate more the mm -hmm. wholeness of you. Mm -hmm. Because you see, our wounds are neither good nor bad. They're functional. Mm -hmm. And you're saying your sense of abandonment has functioned to break down the rigidity of your masculine attitudes. So you can have a more profound feeling life, mm -hmm. which is the feminine. Woohoo for abandonment. Yeah, thanks, abandonment. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do have a, a dream. Do you want to discuss? Yes, please. Let's discuss the dream. Okay. I'm just going to say one little thing yeah. about abandonment. Yeah. Because in, in ancient alchemy, which really comes out of ancient Egypt, the, the prerequisite to, to become part of the alchemical experiment is you have to first become an orphan. Other words, the experiment won't work and then you won't get the philosopher's gold. I, so I was in, in Bornholm in Denmark when you said that to me the first time and it was such a profound moment. It like is imprinted where I was when you said it. Yeah. And we want to forget that, you see, because no one really wants to be an orphan, but actually that is the only way we can do the work mm -hmm. is we have to accept how alone we are. There's no mother, no father, no mother government, no father government, no, you know, real mother, father, no mother, father, therapist, substitute. It's, it's just you mm -hmm. and the psyche and the work. And that's how the transformation takes place. So in a way, your sense of abandonment is, is your kind of um, entrance into the work. Mm -hmm. And it's hard. So let's go to your dream. Okay. So I wrote it down in the morning and I'll remember waking up to you being like, whoa, I wonder what that's about. And just trying not to read into it at all because it was like vivid. It was super vivid. So there's a lot of chaos going on in the world. And this woman, woman is keeping a baby, which... I had the feeling in the baby in the dream that it was not her child and it wasn't mine either. I don't think, um, but I have some bond with this baby and she's behind a locked door. And so I knock on the door and she asks, who is it? And a passerby answers for me and like looks at me and winks, knowing that them answering uh, would help me get in like there's something about me answering that would was not a helpful way to get in and then the woman asks again who it is and I have to like break the door down um so now I'm inside and she hands me the baby temporarily and eventually the baby starts crying and she like rips the baby out of my hands and I get very angry and I yell at her basically saying that just because a baby cries like doesn't mean she has to take it from me with this like this knowing that like just because you're crying it doesn't mean it's bad like that you know yeah that like the baby could be safe with me too even though it's crying it's not this sensation that like she you know she's only safe with him because he's not crying and that 
I needed a chance to develop um, a bond with the baby so that it could feel safe to not cry. But it was this like, yeah, this like, oh, this automatic, like, oh, baby cries. And I mean, we see it in, in normal life a lot, you know, as soon as the baby cries, it's like, oh, stop the crying, stop the crying. But I had this like, yeah. And I, I yelled at her. I said, if you try to keep this baby from me, I will kill you. I like screamed it at her. And then I woke up. Okay. (laughs) And when you woke up, what was the first thing you noticed in your body? No, I think I was a little bit in shock um, because it was so vivid. And I know the dream, it just had chaos around. Like there was a lot of like chaos and it just felt like this urgency for me to get to this baby. And I guess also just, I don't know, somatically it felt. You said shock. It was like a shock. Mm. So let's just stay with that sensation of shock. We don't have to make meaning of it, but there was a shock. And um, there's an intensity to the dream. Yeah, almost like um, like an animalistic protectiveness over this baby and the concept that like there was like a sacredness to the crying and to my capacity to to be with this baby despite it crying and not trying to like, what is it called? Um, You know, is it spiritually bypassing this like fake positivity that like we're never supposed to experience sadness or crying or being upset. It felt like that's what she was trying to do was like, just stop the hard because the hard, we don't deal with the hard stuff or the crying. Right, right. So there's no tolerance for suffering. Mm -hmm. Mm that we touched on earlier. So let's go to the beginning of the dream where there's a lot of chaos in the world. Mm -hmm. So what is that? What do you think that's about? Like, what are you noticing in that chaos? I mean, it feels kind of I mean, and I can already counter what I'm about to say, but the world at the moment, because my world feels quite unchaotic in terms of the current global situation, but it felt kind of like that, just panicky, like people not really knowing what to do with themselves or what to believe or where to go. Mm -hmm. And what do you notice happens in your body when other people are responding to the chaos in the world that way? It feels like I can feel my heart rate, at least theoretically going up. Like it just feels like Mm -hmm. tense. Yeah. Okay. So you are affected by this chaos, even though you don't personally feel you're in chaos. Mm -hmm. Right. The surrounding causes your heart rate to go up Mm -hmm. a little. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what is a elevated heart rate associated with? I mean, like physically or in my mind, the story. However that means to you. Um, I don't really know. Like just being on more of a high alert. Mm-hmm. 
So sort of an anxiousness about what might happen next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're a little bit on high alert. Mm-hmm. And then you notice that a woman is keeping a baby mm-hmm. behind some sort of door or room. Mm-hmm. And you know you have a bond with that baby or a connection. And you want to get to that baby. Mm-hmm. So who is this woman? I don't know. Even, even as I recall the dream, it's like such, there's so much distance between her and I, and there's almost no, it's not about her in a way that like, I have no image of her, no, you know, like, I don't know. Who the dream she- is about you. Always yeah. the dream is about you. Yeah. And so you're saying that this aspect of yourself, you don't know her. No. But she's keeping your baby. Yeah. Although How it's not about it's that. Not, it's not my baby. I had the vivid. A, yeah. Right. It's not your baby. I do stand corrected in that. Yeah. It's not your baby, but you have a bond to this yeah. baby and you have yeah. an interest in this baby. Yeah. So who, what feminine energy can keep? a baby from you that you mm-hmm. have a connection to. Yeah, I'm not sure. Lots of fairy tales in which babies are absconded with Rapunzel, mm. Sleeping Beauty, Snow White. <laughs> and they usually involve some feminine creature, right? Mm, totally. She doesn't kind of capture, right? Yeah, she doesn't. It didn't feel like a dark energy. It felt like she was doing what she felt was best for the baby. But I just didn't agree. Like there, you know, there wasn't like a. I'm thinking fairy tale. There wasn't. It didn't seem to be malicious, but it felt like her, her. Maybe naivete is that even the way to say that word about protecting something for someone from experiencing pain is Uh, okay so she's feminine aspect that is kind of like the pollyanna aspect or let's just be positive about it let's not have anybody get upset or cry let's not talk about dirty stuff totally totally Okay. And how does she show up in your life with respect to your own authentic feeling? Can you elaborate a bit more? Well, she wants to shut the baby down from crying. Yeah. She doesn't really want the messiness of a crying baby. Mm-hmm. Now, in our dreams, it's always about us. Mm-hmm. So this aspect, this feminine aspect in your dream. Well, ironically, based on our last, I don't want the crying baby because I was the crying baby, right? Okay. So there's the tension there, I guess, of like, definitely there's a part of me that says the baby shouldn't cry. The baby should be held and should be. And yeah, and simultaneously, this other part of me is like, well, crying is a part of life and understanding that life isn't always being coddled and, you know, 
so I guess, yeah, that. Yeah. So some aspect of, of collective ideations about how children shouldn't really cry. They should just be kept happy so they're not bothering anybody. Mm-hmm. So you ingested some idea around that. Mm. And, and that idea is presenting itself in your dream. Mm. And that somehow I would invite you to investigate how you shut down your own feeling because mm-hmm. that is part of your psyche there mm-hmm. this woman who's going to shut you down from crying mm-hmm. and having authentic feeling now in a way another aspect to you is really rescuing the baby and wants and insists that this child be allowed its feeling mm-hmm. but somehow in the dream you know that's dangerous and if you insist on that there's going to be trouble mm. and this man comes by to help you mm. so your masculine energy comes by to help you manage the feminine relationship to feeling and to mm-hmm. suffering which is the part of you that knows it's appropriate to allow the baby to cry, to have its feeling. Mm-hmm. Not in a sadistic way, but that yeah, yeah. In a way that needs to be seen or heard. Well, especially as an adult, right? Like yeah. it's easy to carry the rigidity of, of this childhood dynamic and babies and not necessarily saying, well, we carry that needing to coddle and protect throughout all of life. Like it's allowing the proverbial cry. Yeah. Well, what needs to be cuddled and protected throughout our whole life? Hmm. I'm not sure. Well, I'm going to suggest that it's our fundamental essence call it our soul, call it our Mm. genius, but the fundamental essence of us does need to be protected. Mm. And so, for example, in a lot of trauma responses, the trauma response is an attempt, whether it's functional or not, to protect the soul of the person, the essence of the person, especially if the essence of the person comes up against the collective ideas in a way that is not suitable for it. Mm. so to ask yourself in this dream is the woman in the dream protecting the child this is this a soul child Mm. and often in the dream babies are our soul so you need to spend some time with and ask yourself is this is this baby a, a symbol of my soul and is this feminine figure protecting my soul and I'm not understanding how my soul maybe shouldn't have to be suffering Mm. or is this um, the feeling function of the child that needs to be allowed to be expressed Mm. the feeling function of you so those are some questions that you might want to ponder as you journal about and try to unpack the dream I know we're short for time, so I can't go into each of those places, but that's the question. Is this my soul being protected? Or am I trying to allow the full expression of the feeling function? 
Mm, it's fascinating the like I don't know that it's attention but the the like how similar right the possibility of it being this part of me that needs to be expressed or this part of me that needs to be protected yeah and how the crying and I I mean I've heard women say this about babies' cries too is that sometimes there's a different cry like what yeah. cry is this and so can you, when you go back into the dream, identify what kind of cry it is? I can't. I mean, I'll invite my psyche to revisit it in a dream to come where I can perhaps be more, more attentive to that. But it did, like, there was this, like, almost viciousness when I said I will if you try to keep this baby from me, I will kill you. Like that's when I woke up. I was like, that's such an intense thing to say. That's very intense. You yeah. know? Um, yeah. And it's, it's funny because when I woke up, I just automatically assumed the woman trying to keep the baby from me was in the, in like, you know, the wrong. Um, but yeah. I definitely have some stuff to ponder. Yeah, and I, to be mindful when we're looking at dreams, it's never a right or a wrong. We can't make value judgments yeah. about, the, about what occurs in a dream because yeah. it's all symbolic. And the ego wants to make this good, bad. Should I publish this? Should I right. you know, take this to market or whatever? You know? yeah. Should I hide from it? But, but psyche is not into right or wrong. It's not dualistic. It's presenting the psychic facts. So the psychic facts, for example, as we've unraveled today, is that is is that that leaves you with the question. It's not really a fact. The question is: is is this a, a soul figure? This baby mm -hmm. is this some undeveloped part of myself that needs yet to to have someone hold its authentic feeling and receive its authentic feeling. And who is this masculine figure that sees that you need help to negotiate the interaction with this woman? What is her purpose? What does she want? Who is she? Where does she come from? Mm. And who are you in the dream? Is this your waking self, Camille, or is this Camille of 16 or 60? Mm -hmm. So that's really how you work with the dream. It's, it's a little bit nebulous, but we, you keep asking and getting curious about each aspect of the dream. And one of the facts is that it made you feel shocked. Mm -hmm. And your response to this woman, I will kill you if you don't give me the baby, is a very visceral and very sort of shocking mm -hmm. response. But yet it's not uncommon that people will you know animals and humans will kill to protect a child mm -hmm. or to protect an idea or to protect their own soul right i like the the gentleness of curiosity it feels um it's so much less daunting than trying to figure it all out 
Well, you'll probably learn more by being curious than by trying to figure it out from an ego perspective. Mm-hmm. And, and that is actually the discipline and the challenge of dream work is we don't know. We're just kind of poking our nose around in the dark where little things are popping up and to get curious about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can see you have um, a fair amount of work to do if you really <laughs> want to understand the dream. Mm-hmm. And really not so much work as it is just taking the time to deepen into your curiosity and to mm-hmm. imagine back into the dream and see what you notice. And often then those times the dream will change because it's trying to tell you more about the situation. It's like, what are those, that game where people draw things, they can't use words. So they're drawing and people are guessing and they're like, okay, oh, I see what you're guessing. Okay. I need to add this to the drawing so that people. Oh, Pictionary. Pictionary. Yeah. yeah. yeah the dream's like, oh, okay, you, you kind of got that. Let me give you this piece or, oh, I need yeah. to direct you in this way a little bit. And then I think there's a variation on the game where you can, you can hum tunes, act mm-hmm. it out as well as draw it out. I mm-hmm. can't remember what it's called, but so there's many modalities we can, yeah, try mm-hmm. to wrestle around and figure it out. I love it. Thank and you. actually, Pictionary really works well with dreams in that you start to just draw your dream and all of a sudden your pencil or color or pen, whatever you're using, will start to want to go into it, its own idea of where it wants to be on the page. And you think, oh yeah, this dream is about the baby. And the next thing you're drawing it and the baby's a dragon. Mm. Like, oh, well, the baby's a dragon. Hmm, what's that about? Or whatever comes up. So right, it's right. a little bit like Pictionary for sure. Cool. I'm going to get drawing. Get drawing and um, happy bleeding. Thank you. Thank you and so we much. will talk again. Mm-hmm. We'll chat soon. Thank you, Geraldine. Okay, you're welcome. My pleasure to be here for you, Camille. Mm-hmm. Bye for now. Bye.